Welcome to the Front Porch Theology Podcast. My name is Heather and I'm your host and I'm here with... Will. And I'm Jeremy. Why did you... Okay, never mind. What? Nothing good. Why did you interrupt our host when she was trying to... I was trying to help her out. She couldn't remember the name of the podcast. I thought I did just fine. You, you did great. You were, yeah, it was amazing. It was the best you were stumbling a little bit on yeah. remembering what podcast. Do you do other podcasts? You podcast with other people? You're not no, I just about? I just forget the name of our podcast sometimes. Yeah, I can see that. Because Jeremy yeah. says, "Welcome to the front porch." Whenever he hosts, "Welcome to the front porch." Yeah, it's more. It's like you're listening to like well, I mean, daytime we're, radio. We're and sometimes on the I front just porch. It's and then sometimes I just really forget the name of it. Like I don't even know. Yeah, I'm like yeah. I have to. You know what would help if we had merch? Ooh, yes. If you're a listener, a thought. which I guess if you hear this, you are. <laughs> Grandmother, what type of merch would you want? Dad, <laughs> would you would you spend your hard-earned money on merch? No. Nah, I don't think they I would. They wouldn't. I wouldn't spend money on a front porch theology headpiece mug or hat or, yeah. We could sell the headpieces I wore last week. You know what I would. You know what I would Ooh, buy. That's a good idea. I'd, <laughs> Head coverings. <laughs> I feel like I feel like a good uh, what a good merch item that would sell really well would be like coffee cup. No, like a cartoon, Sticker. a silhouette cartoon of our faces. All of us. That would, that would be funny. Like be cool. We had coffee cups almost that looked like us one time, except yours was a mustache. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't I know. know why yours was a mustache. Well, I just wanted them to match. It was either that or Hulk, which that would have probably been Hulk more appropriate. Is, yeah, yeah. But and Hulk's a woman now. That no, happened. Hulk's not a woman now. Yeah, there's a She-Hulk. There's a She-Hulk. There's a there's difference. A don't. Well, oh, don't. Well, I don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't. Hulk did not have a like a gender change. It <laughs> yeah. You know the culture we're in. I thought that's what happened. No. 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 Oh, okay. Mm, don't insult him. Okay, so we're just going to dive right in after that. Uh, Please. Con- <laughs> That'll help. Gender confusion of the Hulk. Um, so today's topic, we're going to talk about um, contradictions in the Bible. Does, Whoa. Does the Bible make false claims? Oh, man. So there's some specific topics that we are going to cover and talk about. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get us started with one that Jeremy actually talked about a few weeks ago in theology training. Theology training? Theology class. You I don't, don't remember the name of anything. I don't. I it's it. Do, do I need to? At New Heights, we am call, I going to go to hell for not remembering our no, podcast? Of course, name? you're no. not. Okay, go to hell so it's for not it, important for me to remember it. Sheesh, that escalated <laughs> <Do> I, quickly. <laughs> that, Gosh. There's either one uh, or two. Like we call them the New Heights theological cohorts. Oh, well, yeah, so Julie sorry. makes fun of that. She's like, "Are you going to your little cohort?" I'm like, "What do you? What do you mean to call it?" There's goes, no better <laughs> call word. it a, a theology meeting. I'm like, no one would come to it if you called it a theology meeting, right? Yeah, I make fun that, of it gonna... for being called a cohort. You, what did you just call it? A class? A training. You, training. I the, wanted it to theology sound more training. Okay, that's not that bad. Um, yeah, we could. We could no, we probably that. shouldn't call it that. Cause a training, you learn something, you retain that information, and I'm telling you, that's not happening for Heather. Oh, well, you know, you all, all know. Already? Yeah. What is that guy's name? Peloton? 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 Pe- Pegasus. It's further away. Pegasus. Pegasus? She's talking about Pelagius. Pelagius. Yeah, Pelagius. Yeah. Peloton? Peloton. It, 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 like, with, but it's gotten further. She's like, uh, Pineapple. Now it sounds like, like a mythical creature. <laughs> it's Pegasus. A Pelotosis? Uh, I mean, okay. theology is pretty mythical. Sorry, we're, I, I, we've already gotten off topic. Um, so, What's our topic? Does, uh, is the Bible is the, wrong? Is no, the Bible wrong? wrong? Does it make... Okay, but there are several Easy. contradictions Next topic. in it. Ooh, so, yeah. it, uh, the reason we got there on not, the theology training... There are, well, that's uh, what we're going to talk there about. There are not contradictions. Oh, according to the devil's advocate, there is. Heather. 
Okay, the devil needs no advocate, Jeremy. Okay, sorry, that's two I've shows taken, in a row. I know that two in a row that I've had to fill take in. That line it's okay. From now on. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so we talked about Saul, how Saul died. Yeah. The end of First uh, Samuel and then the beginning of Second Samuel. It talks about um, Saul fell on a sword in First Samuel, and then in Second Samuel, it talks about um, that Saul was killed. Yeah, by so, someone that he did not fall on his sword. Yeah, so so here, well, it doesn't say he did not fall on his sword. It simply says that he fell on a sword, hinting that he tried to kill himself. Mm-hmm. God said, "Hey, Saul, you're gonna die. They're gonna kill you tomorrow. Yeah, in battle." And his as they're losing, uh, I believe it's the end of First Samuel. It says he he fell on his sword. He took right. his own life. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the beginning of the next book, it says. Um, that he uh, that someone paraphrase. came and killed him. Well, I don't have it in front of me, but if someone wants to look <laughs> Why at it. Why don't you have a Bible in front of you? Um, I always have a Bible. Now, listen, in front of me. but but before we get in, uh, let's answer this one. But then let's take a step back, and I love oh, to talk okay. about like soul scriptura and what we mean by inerrancy of scripture. First, we're going to define soul scriptura. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what I just want to talk about it and say soul, what on earth soul does that scripture, mean? whatever you just called it. Solo scriptura. <laughs> you have to say it like that. that. That's terrible. Okay, so. We're talking about Second um, Samuel chapter one, and it gets into it. Um, okay, do y'all want to talk about? Yeah, it's Second yeah. um, Samuel chapter one, verse nine. Go ahead and read it, Will. Okay, I will. Um, it says, "He said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for Ooh. anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers.' So I stood beside him and killed him What's because." It? I was sure that yeah. he could not live after he had fallen. So he was it? Is it? And that I, I took, smell? And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet <laughs> that was on his arm, and what I brought them here to today? my Lord. Is that a contradiction? I smell will no, because it doesn't say that Saul didn't fall on his own sword. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, you can survive after falling on so a sword. This is what I get at. Jeremy's Jeremy's done that before. I think it's many times. This is I think that. He once again we see Saul do this before. He tries to kill himself. Actually says like basically kill me before I fall in that sort of thing. Yeah, I think he, the fallen is fallen. He, he's on the sword. ask. Yeah, he's <laughs> asking. So the guy. By the way, it's not set up in two books. Uh, uh, like in when Jews read this, they read this as one book. So it's not like they ended and then began a sense in contradiction. It's the same writer. Um, so so what I think is fascinating. This is a contradiction some people bring out, but really what we see is Saul can't even kill himself right. Um, and, and once again, he tries to take power into his own hands because God tells him that the army's going to kill you and, uh, or, you know, that someone else is going to kill you and he tries to kill himself is, and the Lord won't give but, it to him. But that's the thing. There's actually kind of like three stories that we would say, how do we reconcile all this? So number one, God says, and God can't lie or be wrong. And so right. God says the army's going to kill you. Then Saul, um, if you look at the last chapter, so first Samuel 31, um, he says to his armor bearer, um, he says, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, yeah. for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Doesn't yeah. say he died right then. Yeah. Uh, but then verse 5 says, when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead. And so it seems to imply that he did die when that happened, but it doesn't say that. It's a, it's a natural you know assumption that a reader makes, but I think when you pair it with the first chapter, um, what seems to happen is Saul does attempt to kill himself, and then the armor bearer does end up have to, having to finish the job, so to speak. Yes. And yes. also, I think the Lord is right because none of that would have happened had the armies not been approaching and 
loss and impending uh, torture or imprisonment or most likely killing was going to happen. So, so I, I want again. I want us to think of this. This is not originally two books. We set it up books and chapters like this because it's easy to remember um, history and recite. There was just it was the book of Samuel, right? So this is one author writing this down. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not like in one sentence, right? He's not going, oh, he's dead, and then oh, I forgot what I wrote the sentence right. prior. Right. Um, and I think there's something again poetic where he tries to kill himself and he still fails, and someone else still has to do it. Um, so maybe let's talk about the nature of a contradiction. Because there's a lot of people that will bring them and say, "Hey, there's contradictions in the Bible." What's what are what's the nature of some contradiction? What what is a contradiction? Well, a contradiction would be two things that are said that can't possibly be uh, true for both. Yeah, can't be reconciled. Right. So Jesus, these two truths cannot both be true. So so Muslims would say that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. We say no, he did die on the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, they both cannot be true, right? Correct. Um, so someone has to be right. Someone has to be wrong. Uh, if, if they're not, and we're going to get into some of these cause some, con- there are things where people call contradictions in which there's a, like this, an explanation. You're just got to see the story for what it is. Um, or maybe some, uh, well, there's some, there's some, maybe some theological misunderstanding, mm-hmm. which we'll get into. Um, but also some timeline issues that I think once we get into these, Uh, Timelines can be tricky in the Bible. Yeah. Like when stuff happens. Because the Bible, Genesis to Revelation is not chronological. I bet you got a chronological Bible somewhere, don't you, Heather? I used to have one, yeah. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. I have an archaeological Bible. That doesn't surprise me either. Yeah, I like it. Um, Okay, okay, so what... I don't know why it doesn't surprise me. Heather, maybe you can... I just knew he loved archaeology. He watched a lot of Indiana Jones when he was a kid. I did. recently watched him. You've not seen them before. You had never seen Indiana Jones until yeah. recently. No. There's three. Until of them. After we came back Indiana Jones movies are way better than Star Wars. Way better. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's true. But um, they're they're well, oh, they, it can't both be the best. That's movie. true. They're not. No, I, I it, that's a tough <laughs> one for me to be honest with you. Um, because the, there's three Indiana Jones movies and they're amazing. They're each amazing. There's one that they try to. It looks like it's Indiana. It's called the Crystal Skull, but that's not really Indiana Jones. Okay. Let's bring it back in. Parody the new one? There's no new one. There is a new no, one with, with old Harrison nope. Ford. Nope. Yeah. That's not real. It's a parody. I, I never Let's watched move it. on. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So, Heather, <laughs> would you want to tell us what's Sola Scriptura? I have not. All right. No. Okay. So, I thought you were over in your theology training. Well, she said she didn't memorize any of it. Oh, she didn't listen. So, so okay. When you hear. So, like. Memorize it. Yeah. You're supposed to learn it, not memorize it. Well, that's you one, didn't bring that up one anyway. Way of, yeah, I did actually. You didn't. I absolutely did. He said a lot. It's hard to pay attention to him sometimes. It's, yeah, especially it's a three-hour lecture. It is true. It is a three-hour lecture. All right. So, so Sola Scriptura. Will? I, why would I know what? Only it is? the Bible. We can okay. only read the Bible. That's what it is, right? No, that's no. Solo Scriptura, Ooh. which means we only pay attention to the Bible. We don't believe that. No. Nope. Uh, we hold Wait, the Sola. Yeah. Back up. You are like saying a lot of stuff. So give the definition of what you're talking about again. We're talking about sola scriptura okay. and scripture alone. It comes from Latin. I mean, scripture alone. Okay. Scripture alone so, is the authority of faith and practice. Right. So okay. the, uh, the battle cry of the reformers and the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century was the five solas. Yeah. And so it was a, a reform 
um, of, of where authority and faith and theology come from for the church. Um, not from the papacy, not from the church itself. What about the councils? Not the councils. Oh, not even the councils. But okay. that doesn't mean we disregard or throw out confessions and councils, but it does mean that that's not where authority comes from. Any confessions authority, and councils can be wrong. Right. Any authority has to has to be rooted in Scripture alone, sola Ooh. scriptura. Um, and so that was one of the five solas because that was a, a battle cry, was we're not going to take just man's tradition um, unless that tradition is deeply rooted in the authority of God's Word. Right. There has to be a standard of, of, of truth, and Scripture is that. And any time is- our standard is on um, or based out of a person— then it's fallible because all people are fallible. All right, so everyone's depraved. This is why it's such a big deal when someone talks about the scripture being inerrant, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because what they're attacking is they're saying, uh, well, not in it when they when they attack that the Bible is not is not true or there's all these contradictions. What they're attacking is a concept called inerrancy. Now, what's that? Uh, inerrancy is the belief that the Bible is without error. So that the Bible, in its, and this is important, in its original languages, um, its original manuscript is perfect. It is without error. So, it is exactly how God intended it to be. So what you're trying to say is that my, uh, my Bible that I have in my office is not purely inerrant. Correct. Okay. Now, what we mean, and so what we mean by that is, the publishers could have made a, yep. a, a made a there problem. could be a typo. Yeah. There could be, um, there could be a better translation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think with every modern translation, um, the more you dive in and look, there are there are things that could be translated differently. Mm-hmm. And given that there, there is one word um, that we know in Greek or, or Hebrew, but then. You know how you relay that in English could be fifteen different words. Yeah, and so, so this is going off topic just a little bit. So knowing that, um, knowing that the more modern, you know, the more modern um, versions of the Bible, like wh- how should a Christian and a believer choose what version of the Bible to read? A word for word translation. So if you, now that, that's not to say that th- what we would call thought for thought translations are bad. But a thought-for-thought translation looks at a Greek sentence and says, this is generally what what this sentence is trying to convey. And then they rewrite it in English, and it's done so that it's smooth in the English language. The, the problem is you fall victim to what the interpreter is trying to convey versus right. what... Right, because they have to read the Greek sentence and say, this is what... This is what I think. This is what they were trying yeah. to say, right. right? So I had a typo in one of my Bibles one time. Yeah, what? what? A typo yeah. in one of my Bibles. Um, I was Not just... Not the King James. It was. What? Oh, you can't. You can't say that. But it was a women's study Bible, so you know those usually oh. aren't accepted. Oh, there. that's why. Um, it was one of those female Bibles. Yeah. Um, Philippians was Bible. spelled with two L's. Oh, that's a and I mistake. had just King started, James should know better. I had just started out as a teacher, and I was teaching at church camp, and I wrote my memory verse on a, on my poster board, yeah. and I wrote it wrong, and somebody came up to me like almost at the end of the week, and they were like, you know, you spelled Philippians wrong. I'm like, no, I didn't. I actually looked it up <sighs> to double check, and by George, it was wrong. By James. By, oh. by James. <laughs> by James, it was wrong. James let you down on that one. Could have been George on that one. But a word-for-word word translation yeah. is what I always recommend because um, because it's important that we value uh, the idea 
and, and what I believe is that is that every word, every letter, is exactly how God intended in the original language. So if we want to hold as close to that as possible, um, without learning Greek and Hebrew, then we take one Hebrew word, translate it to one English word, yeah. and and that process. And, and there's still a deficiency there because, uh, sure. as you mentioned, that that's very hard to do crossing cultures. Uh, mm-hmm. The most famous one is love, right? Yeah. Um, Agape. Yeah, that's that's like one of the hardest ones because there's a lot of words for love. And look at me remembering something. I know. Look at you. I get a point. I'm not well, sure. it's it's actually the opposite. There's there's ten more than a dozen, I think, actually, um, words for love in the Greek language, and it all translates love in English. And so yeah. they have like different types of love. Right. It's really yeah. It's really difficult. All right. Um, you ready for my next one? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Besides Saul. I got a bunch here. The women spread the word of the empty tomb, or did they? So in Matthew 28 and then Luke 24, it says the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and rain to tell his disciples. When they came back, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, 8 says this. The women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and rain to tell his disciples. Luke 24, 9 says when they came back from the tomb, they told all those things to the 11 and to all the others. But then Mark has a different encounter. Mark sixteen eight says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Ooh, that's a good one. So Matthew, you know, we're going to bring all this up. Matthew 8, and you, it was Mark, what was it? Mark 16. 8, gotcha. And then there's an encounter in Luke, Luke 24, 9, that says the women did run and tell everything. All right. Yeah, so um, this is this is where you get into sequence, especially in the gospel sequence is very difficult because you have a lot of things happening for different authors telling the same story. So um, so what did happen is what the gospels say. And so in the gospels in particular, because it's four narratives of the same story, you have to kind of take four pieces and put them all together. And so the best account of the resurrection, if I can just try, I'm recounting it from memory, is that I do believe the women are the first to encounter the empty tomb. There's a group of women. Um, there are some named and even some unnamed women that go to the empty tomb. Custom was they were going to anoint uh, the body. They had spices, that sort of thing. Um, Mary Magdalene, I believe it is. Um, has an encounter with Jesus by herself. And so uh, what evidently happens is most of the women leave, and that's where I think you said Mark 16, um, where it says they're quiet and won't say anything. right? So those women leave, keep their mouths shut because they're terrified. Mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene hangs back because she's pondering these things that she's witnessed, and then she sees who she thinks to be the gardener. And then, of course, she realizes it's Jesus. Um, and then after that encounter, um, I, th- I think most people would say Mary Magdalene is the one who doesn't who doesn't hold her peace. She mm-hmm. goes and says, like, I've seen Jesus. Um, the, the women at some point also come back to the tomb, but also the disciples come back to the tomb. So there's a lot of coming and going happening. And then you get to the Luke passage where he just mentions the apostles i think right the disciples mm-hmm. themselves um going and witnessing the tomb and then john is another one where you have john gives the account of john and peter running to the tomb remember he's the one that says the disciple whom jesus loved outran peter um, the humble brag that he was the first to get there and so you have all these people you know coming and going from the tomb but you can piece those together and kind of see the narrative of how how it all came came to be 
So one of the things uh, I think is interesting is one of the word the word afraid here. Um, uh, another another way it can be translated is reverent fear, hmm. which and this is kind of what we're talking about um, when we talk about fear. So this is the type of like fear of the Lord. Um, they didn't say anything to anyone maybe at first because of this reverent fear of what they just witnessed, but that doesn't mean they didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I, I thought that was a good explanation, but I just wanted to add that add that in. And that's why, and that's why, like when we preach a passage, if it's a gospel passage, you have to reference the other gospels and see what's going. on. So, like when we preach through, to kind of paint the scene. Of we what's most happened. recently preached through the Gospel of Mark, and there, there's a little bit of extra legwork for every sermon because yes. every sermon we preached in Mark, we had to read the accounts you in Matthew and Luke, yeah. and sometimes John uh, as well. Yeah, Mark, Mark is yeah, Mark is a tricky one because it's like the highlight reel. Yeah, and Mark does Mark does stuff out of order too. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you also like like Jeremy just pointed out. It, I think every every good preacher who has the ability uh, to do so ought to be looking at original languages and looking for things that aren't so clear in the English language because there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, so you said something in not in the right order. There's another version of this in the in the Bible. Now there's two there's two or a couple explanations that people have had. Um, one of them is the did Jesus curse the fig tree going in? to Jerusalem or coming out of Jerusalem. So either that can be a discrepancy, mm-hmm. meaning like the original manuscripts obviously have this in there, yeah. but due to the original manuscripts, we're not sure where this happened before or after, which, by the way, even if this were the case, because of what we hold to inerrancy, yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, there was an atheist named Bart Ehrman who his goal was to prove the Bible wrong is actually, he's like, that's really not theologically important as far as like before or after, you know, he even concedes that. Um, but either it's two fig trees, which some people say, right. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't, I actually don't hold to. Um, or what you were saying was the, the, there was an issue. People are trying to take a literal timeline. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the gospels, um, the gospel writers are writing to necessitate a chronological timeline. Um, you, you have a different writing style for each of them, and they're trying to emphasize different things. And they also have a different audience. And so for their audience, you have like Matthew with, with the genealogy. Uh, Matthew's got a very Jewish tone to his gospel. Um, Luke is a Gentile writing, so he's, he's got a little bit different slant to his. And so you have those that, that I think also not just change the writing style, but change the order of things as well. Um, you have... Um, you have Jesus cleansing the temple at different times as well. Actually, I actually tend to think there were two cleansings of the temple. Um, but some of that can be a little bit difficult to decipher. You know, is is there two cleansings or one? Is it just mentioned at different times? You have um, both. Those are in Mark, by the way. The the one that's that's true, yeah. right? And the, then you the have tree issue and the right. Yeah. And then you have um, the feeding of the thousands. Um, different numbers on the different occasions, but some people think that's the same story. Some people happen. There were two, say there were two different two feedings. Different. Yeah. All right. Next. One. Okay. I just think that further points that Mark's gospel wasn't necessarily meant to be chronologically perfect, but good. And that's just understand the, uh, the author of the book. I mean, yeah. just that's apparently was, he was just telling the stories and not necessarily. Highlight reels a good descriptor of Mark. Yeah. So, so when you look at, Okay, so the Lord gives gives them the words and all to use, but he's using also personality. 
So if if uh, which is part of the part of inspiration that we hold to, right? This theory that it's God's words and exactly what He wanted to say, but He also uses the personality of the writer. He chose this person to to write this to them. <laughs> but if I said to my daughter and my son, I know people have heard this before. What'd you do today? Mm-hmm. My daughter and her personality would give a chronological. Mm-hmm. This is what happened. Uh, my my son would give me the highlight reel um, of what was most exciting to him. Yeah, he would start with the best things first yeah. and then go with the worst things. No, that's not a contradiction. It's just the personality in which is being is being used to, to give the information. All right, on to the next. No one can see God or has seen God or can they or have they. So there's two accounts yeah. in the New Testament. John 4.12 says yep. no one has ever seen God. Or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 1 John 4.12. And then 1 Timothy 6.16 says no man has ever seen or can see God. Yep. And then we have in the Old Testament, Exodus 33.11, that says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And then in Genesis 18.1 says the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre uh, yep. while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. In the heat of the day. Yeah, so we so think about this. Um, do the gospel writers think that Jesus is God? Yes. Did they see Jesus? Yes. So what are they referencing? In fact... Referencing it, the Father. Yeah, they're referencing the Father. Um, no one has seen the Father because Scripture says the Father is Spirit. Um, now, the... Uh, we see Jesus... I mean, Jacob wrestles with Jesus. Abraham sees Jesus. Uh, the disciples uh, see Jesus. Um, after the resurrection, 500 people, uh, you know, or more than that, are witnesses to, to Jesus' resurrection. Um, people have seen Jesus. Uh, you know, if he, you know, he said, if, if you've seen me, you've, you, what? If you've seen, seen the me, Father. Yeah, you've seen the Father. So John is, the you referenced 1 John 4, which he I think in 1 John 4, John is actually quoting himself from John 1 which was written earlier. The gospel was written first. And I think when he wrote John 1, the, the whole point of chapter 1 is his introduction to who Jesus is. And I think John's case that he's trying to make is that Jesus is God. And so he says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Then in verse 14, he says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We've seen him. It says glory as... Uh, Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the case he's making is that Jesus is God. And then in verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so he's saying God the Son has allowed us to see and therein have a relationship with God the Father. It's actually this really beautiful expose uh, that introduces Jesus' life. And then I think he's quoting himself when he gets to his epistles later in life when he says no one's ever seen God. And what he uses in 1 John is not to show the deity of Christ, but to show that we can actually um, let people see God by our love. So he says no one's ever seen God, but they can see our love. And so he's using kind of the same idea. Um but yeah, I think theologically, uh, what's happening when the when the Bible says that we don't see the Father, uh, it, that because the Father is spirit. Any any time there is when Adam's walking with God in the garden, any time someone is seeing God, they're seeing Jesus. Jesus is all over the the Old Testament, um, and so I think it's that. I mean, this is why Jesus even references himself as as I am, right? That in which Moses encountered. Um, so, you know, he, he Jesus says he was there with Moses. 
Um, so it, I think understanding the Trinity and, and a theological understanding of of the Father Spirit, Jesus um, is God incarnate, uh, and, and understanding the difference there. And Colossians one fifteen says He is the image of the invisible God, the yeah. firstborn of all creation. And so, yeah, anytime anyone sees God, they're seeing the Son, seeing Jesus. So I, I got one real quick. If if um, it's this is a this is you're not gonna be able to solve this one. You all think you're so so clever. Heather can because she went to a um, it's called a theology cohort training. Oh, a training training yeah. yeah she went to a theology okay. training. So. All right, so Ecclesiastes one four says generations come and generations go. Yeah, they do. But the earth remains forever. Yeah, it does. The earth does remain okay. forever. Second Peter three ten. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up. And dissolved in the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Uh, some in, in some interpretations say will pass away. I have a question, real quick. Who's yeah. Ecclesiastes? Um, who, who Solomon. Is? Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. So, so <laughs> we so, took that very seriously. Yeah. You all did a good job. All right. So, <laughs> what one is basically saying? Um, by the way, the the. I'm getting this from atheist.org. Um, they have their own website. But it actually it's said, one of my favorite websites. They quote that one book. They quote it. The elements shall melt in fervent heat, and the earths also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So this is this is a case in point of even interpretation difference. Because actually, when you look at interpretation, there's nothing um, about what I just read that's a contradiction to the earth will last forever. But you, I think what they're getting to is the second heavens, or the, the, the second... Heaven and earth, whatever. Um, right. So I'm curious, how would you reconcile that? I have my own theory on it. Well, I think first and foremost that there will be a, an, an earth forever. Yeah. Um, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. In the same way that, like, if if uh, if I said, you know, if I said my family's – or let's say I'm always going to have a truck. That's yeah. a questionable topic these days because i got a smaller truck. Right? People yeah. question whether it's a but truck. But if I am so dedicated to having a truck that I say, I'm always going to have a truck. My truck's – Will Basham, as long as Will Basham exists, there will be Will Basham's truck. Yeah. Um, but if I go get a new truck because, let's say, I blow up the transmission in my 06 F-150, uh, I've still got a truck. And so I think, I think that's how I would initially reconcile them is that the earth will be forever. Um, Solomon's pointing out an eternal God who's going to uh, create a new heavens and a new earth eventually, but the earth will be forever. Yeah, so I God's th- earth will be forever. Th- th- there, there is. I think you're right. I think there's, there's that. I do think there's another. The new heavens, new earth is a really interesting concept because I, I don't know if it will be a new heaven and a new earth in that, that it's recreated. Yeah, I, t- I tend to renewed. think it, it won't be com- replaced. It will be new in the same okay. way that we are new. Yeah, yeah, that's um, how I take it. Right. We, we are made new. Uh, the new earth creations. will be removed from its sin, and it yeah, will be as somehow if it's be purified. New. Yeah. Right. Um, and and heaven will be new in the sense that it all of a sudden has gained its functionality. Will be yeah. in some ways. Uh, not and I think changed, and but, I think what Peter's using is purification language when he says it's going to yeah. melt, uh, yeah. burn away. You know? So so. Um, I, I, there is something else here that happens a lot, and that is the style of literature that's being done. If you look at Ecclesiastes 1, it's very poetic. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of generations come and go, but the earth remains forever, isn't dealing with a scientific or, or even a, a point on the earth as it is dealing with the the mortality of man. Right. <laughs> that's really what yeah, it's Yeah, I would have with. no problem even if, if someone would were to, were to take the interpretation and say forever doesn't mean forever. Forever means 
way past me and my kids. Right. Um, it might as well no, be forever because right. I'll be. I would have no problem with that too. So I, I the uh, and I think when you come across things that you think are contradictions, whether it's okay, what type of word is being used, timeline issues, something you have to look is the type of literature you're reading. Scripture has a lot of different type of literature. It's not all literal historical. Sometimes it's metaphorical. Sometimes it's poetic. Sometimes you have songs. You have proverbs. You have a lot of different types of literature, and it's something you have to take into consideration when interpreting. Heather knows all this. Yes, she does. Dude, she actually taught most of the class. Yeah. Thanks for doing that for our church, Heather. You're welcome. She was spitting fire. Still waiting for my payment on that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We're still waiting to have more money to pay you. That's true. That's what we're hoping. Um, Add it to my IOUs. All right. uh, Do you have any other? Do you have another one? As good as money, sir. Because if so, Uh, I got one. Go ahead. I'm looking at the same website I think you are right now. Uh, So, Sabbath. Yeah, atheist.org. Yeah, I am. Right. I so, love that are we to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, as Exodus twenty tells us? Of course. Us. Or Paul writes in Romans fourteen: "One man esteem one day above another; another esteem every day alike. Like every man be fully persuaded in his own mind." So, are we supposed to keep a day holy or not? Oh my gosh! He went off Felix on that passage of scripture. Yeah, Felix. By Felix, the atheists have that listed. Is it Felicia? Felicia, yes. Bye, Felix. Bye, Felix. Oh, my gosh. Felix is the one who reads to me on Man, the Man, they're Dwell really app. stretching on some of the The atheists are running out of stuff. Though. Dude, that's their top one. It really? was their top one. Yeah, yeah that's that one's top weak. One. That is a weak one. That's weak super weak. Tea. He, so he does, what they're doing is they're clipping out esteem one day or uh, do not esteem one day is better than another. Right. Paul's given an example. Some people do that and some people don't. The point of Paul's writing in Romans is saying don't bicker and argue over things that don't matter so so okay are we to keep this they're taking an example that's just that's a terrible one all right well are we supposed to keep atheists were smarter than that (laughs) um uh, well the the, what does scripture say the the fool says in their heart there is no god um yeah you are supposed to remember a sabbath yeah of course we are now i think the debate has come and we hold to what's called the 1689 london Baptist confession love that um they actually quote they actually use this verse Mm -hmm. in that um saying that we are to Sabbath now. Whether that is to be on uh, the on Saturday or not is is the question. Yeah. Um, and Jesus says, you know, He tells us that He made the Sabbath for us, not for Him. But there's this idea that we are to observe a Sabbath, that we are to rest. And I think that that's the law. But right? I would say, like, um, yeah, that that doesn't make it more holy to 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 remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Right. Doesn't mean that our other days should be unholy. Amen. And that's the assumption that the atheist is making on this website is that, well, if someone esteems one day is better, then that's what you're doing with the Sabbath. But yeah. no, it's it's a different purpose yeah. altogether. It's not for work; it's for rest. Some some of these some of these um, the other one the other big one and then I, I I'm good if I know we're probably closing on circumcision. Yes, you know that I love to talk you about some circumcision. Always want to talk oh, about circumcision. That was one of my gratitudes a few weeks ago. Dude, what? Your gratitudes? Mm-hmm. What? Circumcision. It was your gratitude. Were just grateful for that. Well, it had to do. With our Bible study topic, we were what Bible study in were you Philippians. in? Oh my lord! Circumcision Bible study. Wait, were you <laughs> studying Philippians with one L or two? <laughs> the one with two has a lot of yeah, circumcision. There's a lot of circumcision in the two L Philippians, but one L Philippians. We had some is good conversation about circumcision. And Let's talk about it at the women's Bible study, dude. I love talking yeah, about circumcision. Paul, I'm serious. Paul, Paul's the one who wrote about it. You know what? In chapter three. I think I think if you don't have a penis, you shouldn't be allowed to talk about circumcision. Ooh! Flipping the old tables. Because I've been told if I don't have a uterus, that you can't, I can't talk about babies. Yeah, yeah. 
That's what I think. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Heather's look at me right now. I so, want to leave the front well, porch. Well, sadly, uh, women have to talk about it because they're the ones who get to make the decision about the child. Uh, when, when we were in the hospital with the kids, right. they did not care who I was. Come on. Rain it's it back true, in. Y'all are- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to. Wait, watch where I'm going. Watch where He's I'm going. He's setting up something. So, Give him a moment. I'm going to flip his table. <laughs> no, no, I'm being serious. So, so um, uh, she had to make the decision on whether or not he was going to be circumcised or not. The problem is she didn't know what she should do. Because Genesis 17 says, This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man, it says that you should be circumcised. But then then Paul later says that you don't have to be circumcised. Yeah. So what do we do? In chapter 3. That is quite the conundrum. That's a command given to Abraham and um, and the, the nation of Israel as a, as a covenant, yeah. which is fulfilled by Jesus. And Galatians says if you're circumcised, uh, it's, it's not going to profit you anything. Yeah. It's true. Just lose some nerve endings. Yeah, I mean that that command of circumcision is gonna is gonna be coupled in with every command, um, every ceremonial command in the Old Testament that we no longer follow. Right. So, which is a whole other podcast. But there's a lot of things that are that are said in the Bible that you could take out of context and say, "Well, why don't you do this?" And right. So, so there's this, a good reason why we don't. Right. And circumcision. The reason why it's part of the ceremonial law, just to see why this is not a contradiction. Scripture isn't missing a story. You have to understand the storyline uh, that's being told, right? Or the story that's being told. Circumcision is pointing people to the one that is that is promised from Abraham's seed. So, right when they when the man looks down at his penis in the Old Testament, right when I mean, it's yeah, it's true, but th- that there's this promise that through the seed of Abraham, there's going to be one who comes and saves the world. Yeah. And so there's this reminder that even um, as they as they and are, that was fulfilled in right, Christ. it was fulfilled in Christ. So circumcision was leading up to the one that's coming th- that's made the promise through the seed. Now, so he marked their reproductive organ. Right. Um, and so now that now that Jesus has. Now that he's here, right? Or that, yeah. Now that he came and he died and resurrected, we don't. We're not still looking forward to the day when one's going to come right. and save the world. Now we have a different sign of the new covenant, which is uh, baptism. That's right. And so that that's why it's not circumcision. That's not circumcision. That's why it's not a contradiction. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's. Yeah. We're not cutting off part of the Old Testament. We. You know, it's just had its purpose in place. Yeah. Good word usage. You don't have to snip snip that, by the way. You can keep that all in. Good yeah. word yeah. usage. Thanks. Okay, well. All this circumcision talk has made Heather uncomfortable. Dude, it's very normal. Will you snip, snip that out, please? Okay, well, if you have any questions about the contradictions we went over today or lack or the falsehood of yeah. contradictions. Or if you want to talk about or circumcision. If, or if you have, if you, nobody wants to talk about circumcision, but you. You don't know you. That, Heather. Nobody wants to talk about it, hey, but you. A lot of people are, no, a lot of people have a lot of questions on whether or not they should have to get their kids circumcised. I've been asked okay. that quite a bit. Well, if you ha- if you would like to hear a podcast topic about that, just go to Jeremy's house and sit on his <laughs> just sit on his it. front porch with him, which is a little tiny stoop, and the neighbors are going to be disturbed by it. So, um, if you have any questions about the things that we covered today, or if there's other things that you consider contradictions in the Bible that you would like for us to to answer quickly, um, in our, in one of our upcoming episodes, just um, go on the app and leave those um, in the submit a question. Part of it's under connect. connect under the connect sorry. tab ask a question <laughs> a little help there i think uh i think i send them a different way every time just so we <laughs> just so we don't get questions or complaints you know yeah. <laughs> um so that'll be all for us today thank you for listening